bringing their problems to me for as long as I can remember. I have one of those faces that just says, tell me what's going on. And now I have one of those podcasts that says, go ahead, tell me what's going on. Welcome to Mess in Progress. Hey guys, welcome to A Mess in Progress with myself, Gina Briona, my lovely co-host slash everything person, Catherine G. Mendoza. Catherine, say hi to the people. Hello, people. Yo, you know what I just thought of? I wanted to say that on my tombstone. Catherine G. Mendoza, everything person. <laughs> everything person. <laughs> I think that's great. I think that would actually great. be a really fascinating like, uh, like thing to read on a grave. So like everything person. Oh, that person was funny. Oh, everything person. Like, what do you mean by everything? Like, could they be everything? And it's like, name something. And then they name it and they're like, yeah, she was that. Yeah, she could be that. Heart surgeon? Probably. Very smart. She was very smart. So you watch a YouTube video and figure it out. She was very smart. Steady hands. Very steady hands. Um, actually, I want to give a quick shout out before we go into anything. Um, so a friend of mine um, sent me, got me a birthday gift. Um, but my birthday is in June. So it got to me super late. Um, and it was, it's eyeliner, but like I have nowhere to go. So I haven't been wearing eyeliner. So today I was like, you know what? If you like eyeliner, you know what I mean? Those days happen. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to try it out. Let me tell you, yo, and this is going to sound like a commercial, but it's not. So there is a brand, the, there are two uh, uh, me- uh, Mexican-American women from LA. It's called Belladonna. That's the like clothing brand that they have. And they're clothes. Like, I'm really into it because it's very culturally like, um, relevant and just like you can relate to it but they started a cosmetics line recently called um sweet street cosmetics and the eyeliner it's called wing queen yo and you know name i if you look at their instagram if you look at their stuff like these are girls who know how to do those wings you know what i mean like that it's it's an art i'm like i feel like girls like that who grow up with that skill with that interest are the perfect people to have a cosmetic company so when they like when they announced it, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll try it. She bought it for me. I tried it today. It's a win. It's a win. Okay. Okay. It's called what's the name of their cosmetics? It's the, their cosmetics line is Sweet Street Cosmetics. Sweet Street. And this is Wing Queen. Yeah. Yo, Wing Queens. All my I love that out there. Yeah. No, I mean it's so, so cute. What's up with the free products? <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, I get, because like, look, I also, what I love is that they're, um, you know, they're a, a small business. Latina yeah. owns, like, I, I love supporting I'm things like it. that. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to send you the link. And for everybody listening, Wing Queen, just Sweet Street Cosmetics on Instagram. This okay. is not sponsored. This is just a recommendation. Uh, uh, everything person recommendation. An everything person recommendation by an everything person. All right. Uh, our guest is in the waiting room already, but that's probably Yay. the five. That was my bad. We started very late today, guys, because <laughs> I was pumping them titties, pump them titties, baby. And that takes up a lot of time. So I had to pump my titties. And so now that I'm done pumping, we started. But I think we can have her in for the for the first segment. I think yeah. I definitely do this. So my good friend Sam Murphy is joining us today. Sam Murphy is... Another person that I would describe as an everything person. Sam has had several different jobs. We will all we will talk about all of them. She is currently a comedy manager to some of the 
best and brightest and upcoming stars like Andy Hayes and also Chad Daniels and some of your favorites, Josh Johnson, who works over at The Daily Show. Uh, just a bunch of great performers and I absolutely adore her. So here we go. Let us, uh, <laughs> let's let Sam Murphy in. Smurfy. I never even thought to call her Smurfy, but now, now I shall call you Smurfy because... <laughs> No. Your initials are S Murphy on that S Murph. So yeah. you're you're like a Smurf. Smurf. You're Smurfy. I have, I have been known as Smurfy. Yes. <laughs> the nickname shall stick because it's already been approved. Smurfy <laughs> is with us. And uh, you and Catherine have indeed met, but I will reintroduce you, Catherine. Sam, Sam, Catherine. Hey. I'm like, I we, I know we, I feel like it's more than meeting when we sat down and watched a show together, which we all did. So yeah. I'm like, no, we're cool. Yeah, we're cool. Yeah, yeah definitely. In modern day years, that's like five dates. <laughs> <laughs> Officially. All right. So uh, we usually start by having a, a topic that we talk about at the beginning of the show, uh, but we started late today. So now you're part of this topic because <laughs> normally right. it's just me and Catherine, but uh, we will we'll start this. I know Catherine sends me these uh, articles, these things, and she sent me a tweet recently uh, by a, a young lady. I think I sent you that information as well. And oh, and I love this. Uh, this <laughs> I have titled this The Sisterhood of the Traveling Vibrator. Uh, and let's discuss, uh, Catherine, do you want to explain the full story of what's going on behind this magical thing? So I was like on Twitter the other day and it was just this tweet that some like girl um, had posted a screen grab of a guy who apparently ghosted her and like months went by, I guess. And he sends her a message saying, I am moving and I can't take everything with me. And I remember that when we had sex, you, we used my, my vibrator, like he owns a vibrator. I, I think it was probably new at the time. Anyways, in the message, he tells her, and you told me you have a problem, finish it. So I know that you actually finished on, like when we used that. It's only been used on one other person before, but it's a new condition. I would love to like basically donate this vibrator to you since I know it's expensive and you enjoyed it. And she accepted it gladly. Interesting. That was on in the days of COVID, mind you. She has accepted Imagine sharing all the things in the world to share. <laughs> you would agree to share. If, ladies, ladies, mm. ladies, if things get that tough, please just buy a detachable shower head. You do not need to borrow a vibrator from an ex boyfriend that has been previously used on someone else. He's not even an ex-boyfriend. If she said he ghosted her, yeah. that means it was just like oh. hooking up. Like they dated for a little while. I, I would have been weirded out if he texted me asking anything at all after that amount of time. But that, like, there had to be an ulterior motive. I, I just, when I read it, I was like, I need to find this guy's mother. Like who <laughs> instilled these principles in this guy. And he was like, oh, I mean, how could he be rude enough to ghost, but thoughtful enough to <laughs> have an orgasm with this? I feel like it should be yours. Exactly. My thing is like, it, I feel like what's weird to me is that he really thinks he's like a stand-up guy. I'm not saying he isn't. I'm just saying he really feels like he's like doing something for the community, you know, and doing something for feminism. And you can tell, I really he, feel sent, like he sent that text and he was like, 
I'm a good guy. Yeah. And it was a long ass text. Like he spell checked that. He yeah. created paragraphs. Like I don't do that in formal emails. Like I had a typo in like my going away email, leaving several companies. Wow. Uh, so this guy thought about it. I initially was like, is he just trying to get laid one more time before he leaves? Right? Yes. Yeah. That could be a thing where he's like, why don't you come over and pick it up? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We ne he never, they, she never said whether he mailed it or whether she went to pick it up. So there could be more to the story. I didn't yeah. even think about Wiring that. Wiring minds want to know. There's a picture of me on my cup. I don't. Did you see the look on the cup? Look, please pick up the cup. Yeah. That look is judging you for taking a vibrator. <laughs> From a guy you want to suffer. My cup is judging you, lady. My cup is judging you. That is I, a very judgy look. Here's the thing. I also grew up with a mother who told me and my own sister, you do not share panties after menstruation started. So like when we were little, probably me and my oldest, I mean, my middle sister, who's like three years older than, probably maybe once we might have like taken the wrong panty out of the drawer, you know, because you're little. But my mom made it such a big deal. Once you start menstruating and once that's like, sex was never a question. By that point, we were trained into like, bitch, yeah. my undies are me. If that's just how like undies for some people, a vibrator, like, I'm sorry. Even if we were hooking up and like actually in the moment and he takes that out, I'm gonna be like, you're not using that on me. Like, unless I see you open the plastic. Yep, I want to see a brand new brand <laughs> Clorox wipes. Yep. I don't want to see it just taken out of a drawer like that was your handy little vibrator that you always kept in your drawer for all Ew, that was community vibrator. Like, Ew, oh, community <laughs> I mean, I was thinking about it, right? And I think it might be just one of those things that are like in our head. Because like dentists use the same tools over and over again. Surgeons, hairdressers, panties. I will give that to your mom. Like that is a type of material that once you you touch it, you buy it, you know? Yeah. But I feel like hard plastics and places, like surfaces that can be sterilized, it's just in our heads. Like I would have had personal issues with someone just whipping out, a dude whipping out a vibrator like that. On ba Basically, we've just met. You've just brought out a piece of equipment. I'm already uncomfortable because I don't know you and I have to be naked for this to happen. I would have just freaked out for a multitude of reasons. Yeah. But I don't know if it's actually unhygienic in reality, but it's definitely in, in it my head. It just seems like an unhygienic thing to do, but I do think you're right. Like yeah. when, when you think about how many professions, when you think about dentists and doctors and also hair people that use combs on your hair and like brushes on your hair, like they sanitize those things, but those things are used to blow out your hair, to cut your hair. And so in like thinking about it that way, yeah, I think maybe it's just the stigma of what it's used for versus what <laughs> it's actually hygienic. Yeah. Why does a single okay. dude have this in his single dude's apartment? Like, <laughs> sure, it's for your guests. The, uh, <laughs> the guests, it's for the guests, guys. I have like, never whip that out on his own. Never <laughs> just vibrator. No but thoughts, I, nothing. I also, I do, I will say now this will go full far into like what you just said. At the same time, you are using 
his penis, which has been on the same person as well. That's way grosser than the logic. So I get the logic. Way grosser. That's way, it's probably been way dirtier than that wand or vibrator or whatever it is. I'm sure. And when I see a wand, my instinct isn't to look away, you know? Yeah. You, when you I know see what's a penis, funny? Definitely. When he said, um, like when I first read it and it said wand, of course my brain went into hair wand. <laughs> so I was like, why is he trying to And my hair immature wand? brain went into, oh, he does magic? <laughs> like, <laughs> she's dating a magician. My first thought was this guy is gonna murder this woman. Like that is, <laughs> this is there was whole- a comic that used to have that joke about how like if guys had reg- like if they had their sex toys out on display, like it would freak women out. But he was talking about like plastic vaginas and and plastic butts and everything he was like if yeah. you saw that in a guy's apartment you'd be like he is going to murder me and keep my body parts like yeah. that's what yeah he's like. old i mean part of me would be like oh that's so considerate to know that you're definitely not going to do the job thank you for picking up something that will like how low is your self-esteem that you were like i'm just gonna have this waiting because i know i'm not gonna do it sis <laughs> Maybe he can't multitask. Like, I'm just saying, I'm saying, some people are simulation, not penetration, right? And so so for those people, like a guy who can multitask, yo, that's a skilled person, not even a guy, a person who can multitask is skilled. Because I'm sorry, that's like literally doing this, like with your hand on your head and your belly. Because you got to think about it. They're like thrusting. And DJing. Yeah. So I always want to date drummers, DJing. not guitarists, not pianists, That's drummers. Right. Ambidextrous dr- drummers who are used They're to different beat with folk feet and one hand. But th- that means this person might be a guitarist and is smart enough to go, I'm going to buy something. You just got to hold it. That's what you got to yeah. do. You just got to hold it. That's well all you Let me do my thing. <laughs> I will play melody. <laughs> you can handle the harmony. You do that. Yeah. yeah. Oh. But, I mean, he's a brave man. That's definitely like a fifth date kind of move for me. Not yeah. a random stranger that you'll not never see ghost, again. I, not a you ghosted me and let's yeah. rehash this. Let's bring this up. And you're just hitting me up randomly. And the fact that she took it, I mean, I mean, how hard up are you for an orgasm, sis? That you're just taking these hands. I mean, they're expensive though. They are. And he said that she has a hard time orgasming in general. So I'm, it makes me wonder even if it's by herself. But then right? why doesn't she have one? Because it's expensive. But she looks like she was that like, are not that expensive. Look. But maybe she things. needs quality vibrator. <laughs> you know what I mean? She doesn't Ooh. want like the 99 cent store brand vibrator. She, she needs high end orgasm. I'm that like, needs I don't. Like AAA batteries that you can't. <laughs> Right, charge. I, 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 my thing is, I'm like, it is, it does make sense that she looked like she was like 22. So when I think about being 22 and like the mindset that you could have, yeah, there's things that you might have been like, whatever, I'll take it. You know what I mean? Or maybe part of her has been going through a dry spell. So even if he was doing the pickup and get them, what if he ghosted her, but the only thing she missed was the vibrator? (gasps) Oh. What if that was her whole goal? Was like, I hope at least the vibrator hits me up at some point, and then bam, she manifested that shit. <laughs> and the next topic. And moving on to the next topic. 
<laughs> speaking of speaking of more ridiculousness, uh, you brought up the topic of horrible bedside manner from medical professionals, which um, I don't know what sparked that kind of topic idea, but for me personally, I'm down to talk about this just based on my horrible delivery. Uh, and the fact that I've talked about it, talked about it on the Emma Woman's podcast, that I had a god-awful doctor for my delivery, um, if you ever want to fire him. Uh, what hospital? Uh, uh, NYU Langone, please check it and out. say allegedly in front of everything. Allegedly. Thank you, Sam, who is studying for the LSAT, who will definitely walk me through what I should and should not say. I've also um, had clients get in trouble for saying things publicly that were true, but so that allegedly, this doctor was awful. And allegedly, he was awful because not only did he not have a bedside manner, but uh, also uh, every uh, every one of my needs seemed to be ignored. Allegedly, <laughs> I'm just gonna use it every. every right, that's that's gonna be the name of this episode. Yeah, allegedly <laughs> will be the name of this episode. Allegedly, what had <laughs> happened was, and I'll try to give the brief story here. So. Uh, let me give you the Reader's Digest version uh, of what I want to say is I get to the hospital. The doctor that's been seeing me the whole time is not there. Whoever's on call, apparently that doctor doesn't even deliver babies anymore. That's another story. Mm. They give me whoever's on call that works with that same um, prenatal care doctor or that same team. So he comes in. I can already tell that he's tired. He tells me that he's tired. He's been there for two days. Um, I tell him I have a birth plan. He says, we will make a birth plan for you. Like doesn't even ask about my birth plan, just says we will make a birth plan for you. And I, I told the nurse, this is, this is what I wanted in my birth plan. My birth plan was very simple. I did not want to give birth on my back and I wanted an epidural. I did not want them to tell me when to push. I wanted to do it when my body was naturally telling me to push. And all of that was so that I don't tear, that there's minimal as minimal damage as you can and as you know and to sort of minimize the pain as much because a lot of times what happens is pain is experienced in the body in two ways you experience pain mentally and you experience pain physically if you can control mentally what you're going through mentally as in the fear and the anxiety of the pain that you're feeling then it can sometimes alleviate some of that pain and so because I was already paranoid about giving birth and scared out of my mind about giving birth it was very important that I stick to this plan for my anxiety and so, of course, none of that was respected. I ended up giving birth on my back. The epidural fell out and was not put back in. Uh, so I had no anesthesia during the pregnancy, during the most crucial part of the pregnancy. Um, at one point, I was screaming. I was screaming throughout the whole thing. I was screaming bloody murder throughout the whole thing because it was so hard. And all the doctor kept saying was, stop screaming. There was no okay, like this, I know this is tough. There was no breathe. He, he even told me I was breathing the wrong way. The way he wanted me to breathe was exactly what doulas and other moms had told me not to do. And they told me what the hospital was going to say, hold your breath while you're pushing, which is apparently the worst thing you can do. Because if you're holding your breath, you're not giving your body that extra energy it needs with that air to push out the baby. So all of that was going on. And finally, my wonderful, amazing, beautiful king of a son was born. And that was the best part of it is I got to hold my son, but I was hysterical. I was in hysterics and I thought I was a crazy person. I honestly thought I was a crazy person because I was emotional and hormonal and scared out of my mind. And maybe I, I really did have this thought. And I feel like a lot of women that go through birth trauma have this thought of, was that more my fault than his? 
And it wasn't until one of the nurses that was in the room allegedly said to me and my husband that she was going to report the doctor because everything he did was unprofessional and unnecessary. And I just started crying even more because I felt so validated that it wasn't, that it wasn't just me, that it wasn't, I felt like I was literally being bullied. I felt like I was, it was literally felt like sexual assault. Like it literally, that's what it felt like. Like it felt like I was not being listened to. It was incredibly traumatic. Um, when he came back in the room, I wouldn't even look at him. And then he was like, why isn't she looking at me? Why isn't she looking at me? Like he got angry that I wasn't looking at him. And one of the other nurses, yeah, one of the other nurses actually was like, you know what? She's uncomfortable and God bless this nurse too. Like she was like, she's uncomfortable. So she does not have to look at you. You can leave now. And so he left the room, found my hospital room later on, came upstairs to my hospital room to give a half-ass apology in which he said the exact words, these were his exact words. I'm sorry, I'm allegedly, (laughs) I'm sorry I wasn't soft enough with you. So it was essentially- That wasn't an apology. That was, he needed to mitigate getting in trouble Mm -hmm. and he still had to make it your fault. Yeah, still had to make it- Oh yeah, he couldn't admit anything. Cause the thing is that, like first off, some um, soft, like this is not a soft, situation this is a I needed for this to go the way I need based off of my body and as the person going through this I need you to listen I need to listen to you and you need to listen to me this is an exchange at this moment you did not listen to me and now you calling me soft yeah now you're saying I was so sensitive and so hysterical that you should have been more soft with me. And it's so, no, you did not tell me what was going on. He told me there was a cord wrapped around my son's neck. I was like, nobody told me any of this. There was no signs of distress or no warnings of distress from the nurses. They're no, supposed to tell people that. Yeah. Right. There was no, they did not inform. He didn't inform me of anything. Okay. Now maybe he won't inform you based off of the fact that you, you are going through a lot, but did he at least inform Jeremy, the person, the other person there, you can oh take somebody and inform right. them. If, if there was any, that's where the problem Jeremy, is. Jeremy was that's like, where the problem is. I didn't see anything around his neck. I didn't hear anything about it. Nobody told him Jeremy anything. Cause if somebody would have told Jeremy, first of all, Jeremy probably would have immediately told me. He would have probably immediately been like, okay, trying to calm down. There's a cord around his neck. They're trying to get him out, blah, blah, blah. He would have tried to calm me down in some way, but mm-hmm. nothing was told to me. So, and then, so what I did was after that, like I spoke to patient relations, but this is a whole thing with birth trauma and women that go through birth trauma is that, you know, so many women just stay quiet and don't say anything because they do feel like I was hysterical. I'm just glad my kid was born or whatever reason. I'm glad I have a healthy kid, whatever reason they give themselves. And so um, when I spoke to patient relations, I was honest with them. Everybody else at the hospital was 100% amazing. All the other nurses, all the other staff, hands down my best experience in a hospital ever. Allegedly. Allegedly. (laughs) This situation makes me angrier every time it comes up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I, I get sensitive in terms of stuff like this because when your job is to look out for the well-being of others, you have to know going in that you have to remove your own personal experiences and stuff. And it's not forced upon them, just like with police officers, you are not forced to do this. You have decided 
to hold yourself to a higher standard than an average person on a bad day. Mm -hmm. And this is just a classic example of a very common thing of someone not actually realizing what their fucking job is. Can I swear? I did not. Yes, you can. Samantha, you can swear. Smurfing, you can swear all you want. Or not caring. Yeah. Even if he knows, even if he he just doesn't care, he's like, what's going to happen? Yeah. The feeling that I got from the start of it was he was annoyed that he had to take on a patient that was not initially his patient. He did not want to know anything about my history. Uh, He clearly did not hit up the doctor I had been talking to the whole time to get any kind of information on me because the doctor would have told him she is very anxious about giving birth. She is incredibly nervous about this whole process. She's told me everything that she wants. This is what she wants. He did not have that conversation with the doctor. He was trying to rush the birth from the start. He wanted to give me something to rush the birth. And I was like, are you looking at my contractions? Like I'm on a really good track right now. Like I'm, I'm good. There's no reason to rush this, but he wasn't even paying attention to any of that. He just, you could just tell he wanted it over with. I just feel like you shouldn't even have to explain a lot of this. No. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter. He should have known all of this before because you shouldn't be able to be a doctor. I mean, I have I think that there's empathy issues with a male OBGYN to begin with. Not to say they shouldn't be able to do it, but they have to at least be aware of the fact that there is a part of this they will never be able to understand. You know? Yeah. They don't they can't empathize. So then when you have a doctor that's also rushed off their feet and has obviously become a doctor, so I don't know, he can jump the line at Starbucks and not to actually do what a doctor does, which is mm-hmm. comfort people, usually on or like days that are the worst of their entire life. So it's yeah. like for him to be annoyed that you're emotional or anxious, you're supposed to be emotional and anxious. You're yeah. fucking giving birth. You're, like, giving, you're bringing a person like, into the world. He was like, I'm a really, I'm a really nice person, which always reminds me of somebody saying like, I'm super humble. Like somebody being like that kind of person was like, I'm a really yeah. nice person. I'm like, of if course. If you have to say it, yeah. it's probably not true. And then I looked at And here, even if he is, I'm not saying he is. I don't, I think this dude is an asshole. Uh, allegedly. I was going to say, allegedly, girl, <laughs> say allegedly. Um, <laughs> um, but at that point, when you were supposed to be that nice person, you weren't. That's yeah. how I look at it. And that's where my moral issue is with this, where it's like, let's, I, I agree with you. Men will never be able to empathize and understand that, like being a woman and what that is. Yeah. So essentially the woman runs the show. I, that's how I look at it. In this moment, in this profession, something's coming out of my body. Yeah. I'm not saying that I know more than you medically. I need to trust you. That's actually why I need you. But you need to trust me. And so listen, that's that's where I'm pissed at them. Because yeah. I'm almost like, one of the things for me is um, I have APS. And so that would make me high risk in a pregnancy, right? So I know that my delivery, this, because of my condition, could literally cause a blood clot and kill me. Yeah. And that's what he needs to think of. He needs that's to think of the, wo- the woman who is like me, if he acted like that way with me, one of two things, either God forbid I would die in childbirth or I'm going to come for your ass yeah. because what you just put me through. No, I had said it to Gina they- because they were like, well, nothing happened. So there's not a lot you can do. And I'm like, it, you shouldn't have to wait for something bad to happen mm-hmm. to stop this kind of behavior. You are allowed to react to the possibility of it having had happened Yeah, because 
you're the person that is the person before the one who actually gets hurt. And he did do things that medically could have really hurt you, but just because he can't see it, or there's different ways of interpreting the consequences well, there's of it. There's a million excuses that can be made. Oh, this was a necessary thing because I feel like the whole cord thing is being was being said or was kept from me and is now being said because it's like gives him a reason to have. I I literally felt his hands like inside me and I was like, please stop. Like whatever you're doing, please stop. It hurts. I literally screamed. Please stop. <laughs> Have they given you a reason as to why he didn't inform anybody? No. That's what I would ask for. Me, they, I would, the one, I still want the answer. Even if you're going to give me bullshit, I want the answer. Because I want to see where your logic is going to go on this. Because your logic only needs to line up with the law and what's not going to get you a malpractice suit. So I need to understand what that logic is and then figure out how to call out the bullshit. Which yeah. is why they won't tell you. They keep the information limited because they don't want to give you everything you need. Cause it is like, and I get frustrated because at a much lesser risk or, le or a, a, you know, stake level, I have a similar job in that I'm here to inform people's decisions, but people in my job a lot think that their job is to make it. And it's like, just cause I know more about certain things than my clients doesn't make it my decision. Well, let's my tell everybody job. what you do first, Sam, because I don't think we've just, well, we'll get into oh, yeah, it. yeah, sorry. Because <laughs> like, I'm like, I, I literally forgot to tell everybody the specifics of what you do. Um, <laughs> but Sam has, I just literally labeled you another everything person because you've changed hats so many times in your career. But currently, you are a comedy manager yes. of some of my favorite people. I did briefly mention that uh, in the beginning. But yeah, why don't you explain your... Uh, your work journey. Wait, wait, wait. Um, you got to ask her the three questions. Okay, okay, wait, wait, wait. Oh, you're right, you're right. Three questions. I forget because it's, it's Smurfy. So, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like I thought we were on a call. I forgot we were doing something else. Yeah, I forgot yeah. we were doing like a podcast thing. I thought we were just three, three chickens yep. hanging out. Uh, <laughs> so, we do three rapid fire questions. You can answer them in whatever importance you rank them personally. Uh, the first one, where are you from? Second one, what is your zodiac sign? And third one, how do we know each other? Okay. Uh, I wasn't born there, but I'm going to say I'm from Dublin, Ireland, where I pretty much spent most of my life and grew up all the formative years. Um, my zodiac sign is Virgo. Voigo. She's a Voigo. I'm a Voigo. I <laughs> we know each other because uh, a long, long time ago, or what feels like a long, long time ago, uh, I was your agent. You were one of my first clients. Yes, you were my uh, touring agent, and yes. Sam Murphy was the best touring agent I had ever had. My current agent is also bomb as hell. Love you, Ethan. Uh, <laughs> but Sam Murphy is the one that made me very particular when it came to touring agents. So I'm lucky to, I lucked out with, with Ethan because I got one who's actually amazing and cares about me as a person, <laughs> just like Sam did. But Sam was an amazing agent, now turned comedy manager. Yeah, God help me. How am I not <laughs> But that's why I take the doctor stuff seriously, where I'm like, I know you know better than the person you're talking to. It's why you're here. But yeah. that doesn't make this your decision. So you don't get to make it personal. I can tell people what I would do in their position and make sure they have all the information to come to the decision themselves or give them the opportunity to turn and say, would you just make this decision for me? I need you to stop talking. So, but it's the person's decision at the end of the day, regardless. His job wasn't to decide those things for you. His job was to 
give you all the information you needed to make the best decision for yourself. And the reason you have a birth plan is that when you're in labor, it's hard to make decisions on the fly. So for a doctor to come in and pull that out entirely, when you're not in your right mind and he knows it because he had to study it in school for like 18 years, mm -hmm. it just infuriates me because to a much lesser extent, I see people, in my opinion, kind of roll those dice with the livelihoods of, of in this case, comedians or other people. Yeah. And it's like, when you represent another person, it is not about you. Yeah. And 100%. everyone makes it, that doctor had a bad day and he made it about himself. And now he is, you know, massaging the situation to get him out of it. But at no point has this man sat back and thought about what this experience was like for you, or at least his actions don't suggest he does. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I think that's exactly why I, I mean, now, now let me ask you, because you were making a point before where you said, which is why they don't tell you that stuff, like, which is why they withhold it. I have a question. If you were to get, because the way I would go about it is um, lawyer up. That's how I would look at it. I would get somebody, because the thing is that, I, and this is not a, I don't let things go type of person. This is exactly what you just said. The next person could die. The next person could this. Can I morally let that go when we're talking about not one, but two lives because that baby is also going through something, right? Exactly. So can I do that? No. Can you lawyer up and probably get that information? I mean, you can. They just like, lawyers are just like doctors. The whole barrier to entry is information. I know something you don't and you need mm -hmm. me. And there's people who realize that, well, you have all this stuff because you're meant to give power and represent others who don't for whatever reason. Um, it's not to make you the big boss. And so I think a lot of lawyers, when they are acting in their own behalf and not really to the uh, vocation of what their the job they chose is, would turn this situation down in a lot of cases because it would be a tough case to illustrate. You'd have to put a lot of time and effort into it. And it wouldn't have as high a likelihood of getting money, which would in turn get the lawyer paid essentially. Because a lot of the times a malpractice lawyer, they don't get paid unless you win and you uh, recoup the legal expenses from the losing party. So a lot of lawyers would tell you, no, is there absolutely stuff you could do legally and otherwise? I, I think so. Because it's just about how you frame it and what kind of lawyer you go to. I think that in Gina's case, there was probably, and this is my unprofessional opinion, uh, probably 10 different things going on that led to him being the colossal, colossal alleged jackass he was. Mm -hmm. But the key one, I think, that would get you some attention legally was there was almost certainly a, a racial bias, not to mention a gendered bias, not to mention a lack of training on his part, not to mention the fact that you had nurses say that they were going to complain. That's where your ticket is. Because if internally yeah. there's a person who is as trained and actually nurses do all the work, even a doctor will tell you that mm -hmm. in a way, doctors are, are not good with bedside manner because they have to be the person that isn't thinking of those things. The nurses are your indicator and they're the ones you're really leaning on. Just like an assistant is normally the person you want to talk to in the case of let's say reps. Um, you would just need to find the right person because it would be a lot of effort. But someone putting in the effort initially is what makes it easier subsequently. It's why it's easier for people to report sexual assaults now. It's easier to get certain things done at a time because someone sort of cleared that path, you know? 
this would be tough in a malpractice perspective, I think. But there is all sorts of other uh, entry points that you could, you know, have this guy held accountable for it. Definitely for emotional trauma, which I already saw somebody for trauma. I already have talked to other people about trauma-related therapy about this. Um, the most upsetting thing being, I'll never get that moment back. Yeah. I'll never get that birthing story back. I can't erase that. I can't go back. Like, this is my one and only child. I ain't planning on popping out another one, y'all. So I lost that story. I lost that beautiful moment. Yeah. I mean, I would argue if it helps, you gained a lot more though, because yeah. no one is ever fucking telling you what to do in a medical standpoint ever again. Hell Never. no. You've learned that lesson now, and yeah. that's actually going to be very, very valuable for you. Like, yeah. I think you underreacted, honestly. I would have lost my ever-loving shit. And I've, I've yelled at two different veterinarians ever since I got a dog eight months ago because I'm like, why are you guys so flippant with my puppy? Like, I want med high-grade medical attention here. Yeah. It doesn't matter if a dog is less important to you or if you see dogs who are sick all the time. Like, that doesn't make close. it easier for me. close to it, but I'm, I'm trying to control that hulk smash level of rage that i often feel and so especially since when the doctor did come to speak with me my son was in the room with me and when i had him there i'm like i don't want this newborn life hearing me scream hysterically at this person and just being freaked out after going he went through the trauma with me like my son went through the trauma with me yeah that's why I said two lives were in stake, not just one. Yeah, he was yeah. just as as nervous. He was he was feeling everything I was feeling. You know, he was still attached to me up until the moment he came out. He was still attached to me, listening to my heart rate, hearing my voice, like hearing me scream. He heard all of that. I can't imagine a world in where he didn't feel every bit of my anxiety. So, my most important goal after that moment was to be reassuring to this new life that he was in fact safe. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. which I know sounds a very new agey thing for like a mom to no. say, I think no, not a, at lot all. Of, a lot of people would be like, yeah, whatever. But I really, I really feel that way. I my most important goal was to let him know you are safe, regardless of what we both just went through, you are safe. Yeah, you considered all the factors in the moment that the situation presented itself. He yeah. walked in the you know, your son is right there. If your son hadn't been in that room, basically her 20 year story when, you know, uh, uh, the baby is a grown man is gonna be, I chose to calm down because I you were in the room. <laughs> I didn't want to ruin your nervous system. <laughs> you were an anxious baby already. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to make you more anxious by stabbing a doctor in his face. Yeah. That's the only reason he got away with it is there was something higher priority at the time. Yeah. So there was not the ability for anyone to stop and address his behavior. Yeah. And by the time it was over, you just didn't want to be around him. Like it, the damage had been done at that point. He only came up so that he can tell the administrator that calls when the nurse speaks to him that he went up and apologized. But there's no recording of it. It's not in writing. If you were ever to regurgitate that conversation, it's you versus him. Yeah. He's got a medical license. He's delivered a thousand babies. This woman's an idiot. That's why they did it. It's to keep it in this gray area where it can be molded to an agenda that isn't necessarily it, it up. Uh, I don't know. Which is why, although we, will, although we will probably bleep his name out. 
<laughs> for for whatever reasons we can bleep his name out. This is why I whenever say, whenever that's a doctor man warn warn people put it on I the internet warn people all the time because all I think of is exactly what you both it's brought true. up. The next person that walks into his office is could possibly be subjected to the same treatment. And I yeah, can't wow. imagine somebody going through that and me not having said anything like, hey, don't go to this dude. 100% don't go to this dude. It's, I mean, even if it's, even if that's just how he acts on his worst of days, it doesn't matter. You should not be acting like that at all. You know what I mean? Like, even if that was an argument made in his favor, like, yep. normally he isn't. Something happened to him. I don't give a fuck. That's your job. Yeah. Do your job. Like, I am now your patient, so you are now required to actually give a shit about me and my well-being because yeah. I am now your patient. Regardless of whether or not you've been seeing me for my entire pregnancy, I am here now, which means I am under your care, so you had better care. Yeah. You know, but like, he deserves to have his name out there. Like, if you become a doctor, you become accountable when you can affect other people in personal, intimate parts of their lives. Yeah. Don't get to not be criticized. Which yeah. is again I, another professional parallel I feel strongly about. I feel like in, in this situation, I mean, unlike probably where you don't have the burden of life and death, like no. you're an actual, like a doctor, that's the one thing for me where it's like, you know, they say um, women giving birth is literally the door between life and death. Like that's, that's the, the, the idea of what a woman is going through because mm -hmm. um, anything can happen. The fact that that's even how you would treat a human being I don't give a damn what's happening in your life or how you feel. This is a human person, like who's having another one. You just, how can you not empathize to that? It makes me question if you should be around other human beings. Like, yeah, exactly. should you be talking to people or doing yeah. anything? Doing yeah. anything that's that important, you should really question. And once I read reviews on this guy from a site where they didn't pay for the reviews, um, there were plenty of reviews that described exactly what I went through. Mm -hmm. His lack of bedside manner, his rudeness, you know, it, I mean, just heartbreaking stories from this wasn't the first time for this super nice guy to have done this or had reacted this way. So, yeah. You yes. thought his job was to deliver a baby, but it wasn't. His job was actually to be there for you uh, while you happened to be giving birth. Because the fact is, you could have given birth at home on your own without him. Your yeah. body was going to do what it was going to do anyway. Um, women have been doing it for thousands of years. I'm not saying that's optimal or advocating for it, because we obviously know all the things that can go wrong. Yeah. But he needs to look at it like that. You know, like, you're not essential here. Do your job. Your job is to be here for the person that's going through it. And if you give them advice that's against their best interests, they don't take it then that's on them. Your job is to just inform them. It's not to make the decision. And in a case with a doctor where they have to make a decision on a fly, like in a surgery or something, they get prior approval from you or your medical representative who's like, who can uh, speak to your will uh, beforehand to be like, hey, we're going to be in a situation where I have to make a decision without you for your own sake. But you have to be forewarned that you're putting yourself in a position where this person is driving 100% of the time. Yeah. And labor this day and age is not that. Yeah, no, that's 100% true. Um, well, yep, screw that guy. <laughs> I mean, I, I, and I brought up the topic earlier only because like when we were talking because of dental issues, I'm over here like, you know what? My story is about, even though it was so horrible bedside manner, no. I'm sorry, these are my teeth. Like you're in my mouth during COVID. Like that's, do you understand how terrifying that is? 
No, people are legit afraid of dentists too. And dentists know it. Like dentists know how nervous people get walking into that office. Well, you know, in many ways, in both situations, they were inside of us. That's all I'm going to say. We both had strangers' hands inside of us for different reasons and not for pleasurable reasons. Mine was more, it's it's everything you said, the bedside manner. Like for me, I think um, that's so important if you're, because I think like it's weird. I actually got to like, I guess an anxiety attack while they were like working on my tooth, which is a first for me. Cause usually I can calm myself during like dental stuff. I've had a lot of dental work done, but because of the element of COVID, my fear went to like a thousand and I don't know why. And I was just saying shut and like um, crying because they had to do the work. It was literally just being in front of people. It was all of that, but they were so the people I eventually got were very understanding. The first sentence they gave me, like I was, I literally said, can I get a second opinion? And he would, he refused to like have me talk to someone else because he felt like almost insulted until I had to, uh, I had to like really assert myself and say, is there another dentist in this office right now? Yeah, can I have that person as a second opinion? She came, she was really nice. She was like, like really, really nice. She was really understanding and she wouldn't, I, I'd even love this. She didn't step on his toes until I officially said, no, 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 you're my doctor now. Like, yeah. you are. And I literally, and before that, she was like, it's whatever he suggests, you know, it's his patient, all of that. And I was like, oh, okay, so since you have no power, I need you to have the power now because I trust you a little bit more than yeah. I trust this individual who I have known two minutes longer than you. Yeah. You know and what I mean? The fact of the matter is, like, uh, that... <laughs> This just pisses me off so much, but it's like, if you're good at your job, you shouldn't be afraid of being questioned, regardless of whether it's someone who does know what they're talking about or someone that you perceive doesn't, because he didn't have the power in that scenario. You shouldn't have had to assert yourself. You should have made it very clear you had the power, which is why the second you said, no, that's my doctor, he was out of the room, but he, him refusing because he, he, no one can question him is frustrating. Like, I feel like people should not be in jobs like that if that is where your inclination goes. And yet those jobs are so hard to get to and it requires so much time and commitment and privilege in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. These fucking people are not truly realizing what their job is. They're just like this thing that we need. Like they won't get rid of more doctors because we need doctors. And it's worse to not have them than to have the bad versions of them. It's very interesting. I think that COVID has changed that because I think now people really don't care even more. Like either they really care or they don't care. So some of them are going because they it's a practice. They still have to make their money, but they never cared about human beings in general. They never cared about actually helping yeah. other people. So now it's like a super inconvenience. That's yeah. what I got out of the, that moment. And I literally said to the woman, um, I don't like his energy. <laughs> she was like because yeah. they asked me the why and yeah. I just said I don't like his energy he's making me feel very anxious and I already feel very anxious I even had to tell her I I saw her type and then come over to me I literally said can you change your gloves you touch the surface mm-hmm. like I'm sorry there's COVID baby you might have touched that one surface that needs, and then you want to put it in my mouth yeah Pause. and the fact is you don't even have to explain that it should be, can you do that? And they're like, right. yes, I can. Yeah. Done. His assistant was like that. Yeah. She, I said it to her, she understood. 
Yeah. But the minute he came in, it was, it really became kind of like, um, and I think this is what you were going through too. Uh, you don't think that another person can put out their chest. Like I can assert myself. I have no problem mm-hmm. speaking up for myself, but I'm in a dentist office. You're giving birth. Like, of course, it's harder to really control what's happening in your head. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I don't know what I would do in that situation, but I would know why I would be really pissed off if I decided everything you decided. There's nothing wrong with what you decided. Like, you decided honestly not to kill the man because anybody who knows you knows Gina would have uh, bit his neck off like in real life. But when he said, we'll make a plan, that's when my switch would have been like, fuck this, get out. Yeah. I yelled at a vet's assistant for being dismissive with me on the phone when I thought my new puppy might have a sinus infection. Like I flipped out then. So you giving birth and having someone with their hands inside, you tell you what to do. Yeah. And by the way, the equivalent of which is like having a dentist who doesn't have teeth, right? Yeah. Imagine knowing your dentist doesn't have teeth and has never had dental surgery before. Like it's horrifying, right? Yeah. So when someone was dismissive of my dog, I'm like, and I compare it and I know people get mad when you compare dogs to kids, but I do, where I'm like, I've made the decision to be in charge of this thing. So you don't fuck with him because that's fucking with me and you don't fuck with me either. Yeah, right? 100%, you are an animal mom now. Yeah, and I decide what's important to me. Yeah. I decide what I care about and I have the choice as to whether or not you get to affect that. Yeah. And you be okay with that because if you're in a position where you represent or help others you shouldn't be in it if you are personally offended by that yeah i yeah i you can't handle agree. somebody questioning you or saying like hey i don't want to do that procedure or i don't want to go about it that way is there another way to go about it you, you know if there's no other way then if you cannot calmly respectfully deal with a person who has high anxiety in those moments or is just going through something in those moments like you really got to reconsider your profession and the problem is that these jobs especially in the american cultural idiom yeah are traditionally seen as high status high paying in other words people pursue these career paths for the wrong reasons and thus you Mm -hmm. get the wrong candidates when it costs 200 grand to go to law school or medical school you've cut out 80% 80% of the population. When it co- when it when you set it up the way we have, where it's not built necessarily around becoming the best trained thing, although let's hope that was the initial intention, all you're doing is actually attracting people who have to be dicks to go through all you have to go through to say that you're a doctor or mm-hmm. say that you're an agent or say that you're a dentist or whatever. Whatever it is motivated you was probably wrong because you're the wrong kind of person to be in this kind of vocational position. But I feel like the system is at fault because it attracts the wrong personality types in its very nature. Yeah, that's very true. Teachers, those are the people, you know, leaders in life should be reluctant, not yeah. willing. Shouldn't be like, I should lead all of you guys because I know everything. Now follow me. Yeah, there that's a person be. who wants to be in charge. That's not a person that wants to help. And a person who wants praise over anything else. So. Yeah. Screw all of that. This is literally something I've been thinking about a lot, which is just the simple word morality, where you go, I think that's one thing that we're seeing, like everybody at some point right now in life has questions since like the beginning of this year for some people. And then for this country, 2016, you know, stuff like that, where you're like, 
where do we all stand morally? And can I, that's what I saw something that said, it's not your political views or whatever the case may be. Um, if, if you're, if me, we have different political views, I don't have, I don't, I can be your friend, but if we have different moral and ethical standing, then I just cannot like, mm -hmm. and I think that's a lot of this because like you said, his reasoning for even getting into that field could have been just, I'm going to make a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. And that's the last right? person I want in charge of anything of mine. Yeah. Because it's like, if money is your motivator, I can already think of, and again, like I have a much lower stakes job and I get up in arms about this stuff on our side of things. Mm -hmm. And there's much, much less, like she'll tell you, I really go to town on it. Cause I'm like, why are the people that are the least important perceived to have the most power? Yeah. Why is the person who's calling the shots in a certain scenario, the person calling the shots? Cause the fact is, if doctors didn't have patients, they wouldn't have a job. If comedians, the, like agents wouldn't have a job. Like it's like the person who, if you remove them from the equation, everything else ceases to exist. That's the most important person. End up, you know? Yeah, but, and you, the answer is ego. Hmm. It's people, it, that guy's ego was standing in the way of your birth. That yes. was it. Like he just, Whatever was happening with that man, that day he was like, shut up, you don't matter. Yeah. Like, you don't matter, what matters. He actually was using the logic that we're saying he needs to understand with his job, but he was using it without completely understanding the full implication. Like he was saying, let me get the job done and get the hell out of here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But he, the job is not just literally baby out on like yeah. table. There's yeah. a lot more to the job. job and either I mean, you got to learn how to fake it better or you got to consider a new profession at that point. Cause it's like, you, you couldn't even bring yourself to fake a bedside manner. Yeah. Cause like, you're allowed to have a bad day and be grumpy. Yeah. You're not allowed in that position, express that. And if you do, you have to uh, atone for it. Yeah. As a person who is a leader in that situation, you're mm -hmm. not really allowed that moment to freak out when you have somebody that is already freaking out you yeah. you now are in leadership position we're not now you have to figure out how do I calm this person down how do I make this easier for this person who is clearly in a lot of pain and who is scared and who I need to listen to yeah it's a really I think it's a human problem yeah yeah like we all don't take enough time to get to know ourselves and we misassociate and connect things we care about with the wrong things. Like money is not an indicator of you being successful in your career. It also shouldn't be an indicator that you're somehow a more important or knowledgeable person. But we have like, I think as we kind of grow and just are learning from the environment around us associate certain things as markers for mm -hmm. what we actually want. But if you actually think about it, you kind of sit back and like, oh no, I actually don't care about money. I'm chasing something else, but I think that money is the path to the thing that I want. But yeah. people just don't take the chance to know themselves and they're not comfortable enough knowing their shortcomings. This guy should have looked in himself and been like, you know what? I'm not set up for a job like this. I take things too personally. Done. Yeah. I'm not saying change it. I'm not saying you're a monster. I'm saying acknowledge your strengths, but more importantly, acknowledge your weaknesses and pivot around them so that you don't affect others around you. Yeah. To not acknowledge your weaknesses and then put yourself in a position where you have in any, any capacity control or influence over others is irresponsible to the highest degree.
but we don't look at it like that. We're just like, give them the training, tick the boxes, pay them the money, don't kill anyone, let's move on. That's a full pack. Yeah, That's very a, much so. Um, like, what's the point in any of this? We're not all just looking to see who can make the most money before we die. Like some people are, <laughs> some people are, well, that's where, that's what they live for. You know what I mean? Like they live, we all live for a reason, whatever. We all have a goal. And some people, it just is, um, I think it's different ways of survival. Like that's how they see surviving. They see the world as in I'm surviving through doing this because this is how I want to live. I may not agree with you, but I see your logic. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? The thing is, does it hurt others? As you just said, if it does, if it affects other people, if it's just you live your life and it affects nobody else, whatever, that's your choice. That's yeah. your right. Yeah. But, but if you start to, or you have anything to do with other people, no, you have a responsibility. Yeah. I, and I've had goals like that, that I've reached multiple times only to realize like I sacrificed so much to get here and this isn't fun. Why was I looking for this? Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, you get to the top of the mountain and you're like, oh, this is it. And then you look at the people who've done it before you and you're like, oh, I don't want to turn into you you're still going through the same version of what I'm going through on a loop. So you haven't found why we're putting ourselves through this. Yeah. And I'm not like there, you don't get, I think we strive for goals out of fear or whatever ego. And then you realize like, this isn't actually what you're looking for. It's just the thing you think represents what you're looking for. And you're going to be real disappointed when you get it and you realize you're still unhappy just about something else. Yeah. And what was the point? Like, this is all a game that we've invented to distract ourselves while we slowly die. So what, there's no, there's, there, is someone giving you a letter grade at the end of your life? Is that, who are you impressing here? Like the process is everything. So yeah. if you're not enjoying doing something or actually, you know, sacrificing for a real goal, you're wasting everyone's time. And I think the problem is just people don't, usually realize that's what's happening to them because we're not given enough room to just well I also know ourselves don't deal oh, well yeah. with, the, with the fact that like like you know we're all gonna die like what are your value systems like mm -hmm. what what do you value in the end of the at the end of the day we're all gonna go poof and disappear to that giant unicorn in the sky or whatever <laughs> you believe in and I love how to you we're all gonna die through the sound of a fart like a very light fart she said poof poof we're all gonna poof. Done. It sounds like a pleasant way. Just poof. We're just gonna poof and be up in that magical <laughs> carnival in the sky or whatever you believe in. And no, you nobody really, I think, or it takes years of work to take a step back and reorganize your values and your priorities and go, yeah. okay, it's because the world tells you one thing of what you should value. The world will sell you value money, value, this is what success looks like. This is what attractiveness looks like. This is, you know, all of this that the world will sell you. You have to take a step back as an individual and work on all that individually and go, wait, 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 no, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to prioritize, you know, being the richest person in the world. I'm not going to prioritize mm -hmm. being the most famous person in the world. I'm not going to prioritize any of that because the things that matter to me are, am, am I happy at my core? Am I happy with who I am? Am I happy with where I'm at? And if I'm happy being the janitor at a, at a local school and I come home every day and I'm happy and that's my favorite thing in the world, then I'm successful. Yeah. You know what I mean? But you know, okay, so this is this makes me think of um, the short film we oh, had all okay. seen. Did um, you get so a chance to watch that little short film that I sent? A reasonable request. 
Um, when did you send it to me? It should have been one of the other links that I sent for this, but we will explain the short to you. Oh, no. I, I must have missed it. I'm very sorry. I uh, thought no. I read over everything. It's even no, more no. fun that she has to explain it now. Okay. <laughs> yes. So the concept of this film is interesting. Like I, I'm really right now into short films. So I've been watching a lot of them. And this one is described as a, de a desperate son reconnects with his estranged father to ask an unspeakable favor that will change their lives forever. So there we go. That's the logline of it. The what it's called the uh, um, a simple request. Uh, no, a reasonable request. A re yeah, reasonable request. <laughs> the concept is he asked his estranged father if he could suck his dick because he had been asked that by a gentleman who was like, would you suck um, your dad's dick for this amount of money? And he said, I mean, for that amount of money, I guess I would. And he's telling his father, but I didn't know he was serious. So can I suck your dick? <laughs> That's the question, which I think is so interesting morally, right? Like he, he made the argument that like he could really use the money. His girlfriend was pregnant and the dad, should I tell her the end? Should we blow it up and spoil it? I, I, yeah, well, just give the spoiler because I feel like people will still, first of all, I will it's say so great. That, like, cinematically, I think the look of this thing is so professionally done, so amazing that I was, I was sucked in like it was a trailer for an actual movie until I realized what their conversation was about. And then I was like, I fall. I was like, that is nasty. That is your dad. <laughs> I think it's important she says the end so that we all know this didn't end with him sucking his dad's dick. Well, well. <laughs> well, all right. You know what? No, no, no. You don't see it. Like, no, I mean, it's it. just, that's not it's, the point. It, but I mean, that's what's so interesting about the concept because you got to ask yourself, what does the father get out of it? So originally he tells the dad, you're going to get um the other half of the money. Like, I'm going to split it with you. And so then not only, the dad not only agrees, but then he's like, we're gonna have to ask for more. So they call the person to up the actual like amount that they would receive. And they even added extras. Like what yeah. else would we would do for the money? The person agrees. And at the end of it, the whole thing is since they're estranged, the dad wants a relationship with his son. So he literally, the, the logic is written as, I will do it for you because you need it. And I get my son back. So that's how it closes. That's yeah, that's the ending of it is him saying, I will get my son back. And I'm like, bruh, there's other ways, bruh. <laughs> I have dozens. Like this elicits more questions than answers. <laughs> but I, there are dozens of problems with everything to do with this. <laughs> and it starts and probably ends with somebody sat at home and thought about this. Mm -hmm. And oh, they yeah. were so obsessed with it, they wrote it down and convinced someone to spend money making it. And I think that we need to think about that. Yeah, we need to this examine who thinks like this and who? would put their parents in that kind of situation. I was, the whole, honestly, I watched it, made me very uncomfortable, didn't like watching it, did not enjoy it at all. Um, I thought it hilarious. The whole time I was just I was like, like, you're laughing at it, not with it though. Yeah, yeah. Oh you're no, like, I know, but that's yeah. why I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> like, because I was just time. like, it's the whole time like, this can't be happening. No way. I, mean, I hope there's no God. I don't want to be at the gates with St. Peter bringing that up. Yeah. Like, so I see you sucked your dad's dick. 
<laughs> so here on your chart, because they all have charts, here on your charts, it says you were paid X amount of dollars to, now I don't even think we can say this up here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know where I have to send you, right? <laughs> like, you know, just morally, I can't deal with this up here. I mean, it, it, it represents what, how people value money uh, personally, because at the end of the day, if you look at it in terms of pure reality, you take away all of our systems, our financial institutions, everything. That's a pile of paper that is only good for you to kindle fire with at the end of the day. What it represents is what we get for money, but we've created a system of value that Mm -hmm. is interpreted completely how we feel like it. It's not a set of rules or written in the sky. Yeah. Um, what you want is stability and comfort for your wife and your family because you don't want to be scared. Humans only do things with very few exceptions for two reasons, because they're hungry or they're scared. Just like dogs, animals, there are only two motivations to do things. But we have taken fears or needs and turned them into such complicated, nuanced things that we no longer know what we're actually chasing. We just think money is the key to anything I feel bad about being gone. And it's like, no, not really. I would, no amount of money in the world would convince me to do things nowhere near that level of crazy. Uh, Just because. People would rather up their money than actually work on themselves, which is the most frustrating thing about dealing with people where it's like, oh, instead of being introspective and becoming self-aware, which should be way more important than you. To, to you, you would rather just have a lot of money and get everything you want and not have to worry about money. But it's like, you should actually work on who you are as a person first. And then if anything, money should just be a thing for your needs, not your wants either, your needs. Okay, need to pay rent. Okay, need <laughs> to do this. Okay, need to do that. But it's literally just for that purpose. And people do evil shit for money. Yeah, they like, do. They literally ruin lives for money. And it's like, guys, that I, here's what I'll say, devil's advocate. There's a big difference between thriving and surviving. And yeah. taking the time to work on yourself is when you have room to, and you're thriving. It yeah. takes a lot of privilege and I, a lot of luck. Like, I feel like we all have wonderful families and really great uh, support systems. And so we've been given the room in life to consider these things. But there are people that don't get any of that. They yeah. get thrown out into the wilderness and been like, hey, you fucking figure it out. Yeah. And so I can understand how people end up in these places, but it's still a bummer to hear about it. It's a bummer and it's frustrating to see people more obsessed with money than with their own mental well being and, and with their own self-worth like money becomes their self-worth like if I had money I'd like myself better if I had money I could buy this and I would be looked at differently you know what I mean and it it becomes such an obsession but you are right it's about having that support system and the freedom to actually do that self-exploration and having that in you because if you've never had that before and if that's not a thing like repressed people are probably the the most difficult people for me to deal with because it's hard to get through to somebody who's been told the sky is purple their whole life and they don't want to learn anything else. They're like, no, the sky is forever purple. I don't care what you say. It is purple. It has been purple since I was born and it will yeah. be purple until the day I die. And that can be very frustrating to try to get through. 
Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, it, I, I love that you said the word survival because like it, it, it really does come down to you either thrive or you survive, right? And so people who, and that's where I, I'm not gonna say, well, yeah, I guess it's empathize with survival people, people who just have to survive. But there has to even be limits in that. Like for me, for someone like me, I like, I can empathize and understand survival. Um, sometimes some people aren't set up to thrive immediately, right? So I understand that could be a starting place. But if you built that in a way that has then only benefited you, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that can be very problematic. Yeah. It could be very hurtful to other people. No, I well, totally, which is why I thought like, Listen, I don't know whether the filmmaker did this movie on purpose or, you know what I mean? I don't know who they are. I haven't looked into this person, yeah. but I'm hoping that the reason was to show something about what we would do for money. Um, for money. It's the only way that makes sense to me for this to exist. Yeah. You know? But, but then I don't know why I saw it written by like, I saw it written by the kind of like white guys who were like very fraternity white guys that I went to college with who just, ah, this is funny. That's it. I saw those guys, the one who's like, and it is funny. There is moments in there that made us really uncomfortable. So I was really like, that's an interesting way to put it. Like the way they wrote it had these moments that were kind of like, you knew they both knew it was fucking weird and uncomfortable. Yeah. They questioned it. The, the actual characters didn't like, they weren't, they were in on it, but they made a decision. I think that's smart writing too. I just don't know what the intention of the filmmaker was. Truth and comedy. I have a feeling if it was just a, this would be funny. And I'm like, ever consider why this popped into your head? Like, yeah. how do you tell your dad you wrote that movie? You know? Yeah. Like, and not have <laughs> like, your dad. I'm uncomfortable with the idea of my dad seeing me talk about a movie like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, what was it? Like, um, I was embarrassed one time because I got my dad this pack of movies and the movie Belly was in that. Like, the, and it's the most hardcore, like, gangster movie like there was probably titties and blood all over. And I remember my dad saying to me like a month later, so I watched that movie, Belly. And I was like, oh no, I didn't mean for that to be in the pack of movies you got. Like there's just conversations you don't want to have with your parents. And I can't imagine this person sitting down with his dad and being like, hey, or his or her dad, I don't know who wrote it, but uh, and saying like, hey, I wrote this movie and there not being an awkward silence after that movie was done. <laughs> Yeah, they, that would like, creep me out. Do we need to have a conversation, sir, about your <laughs> yeah. money situation or what is going on with you and I? Like That's a person who's thriving. A guy who had the time and energy to explore that far out into the human psyche mm -hmm. has a lot of privilege. Yeah. And I want to scream at people, especially when people are commenting on like looting. And I just want to be like, hey, do you think it's easier for that person to run into a burning building and steal a, and run with a 40 pound TV? Or do you think that if they could, they would go in and buy it and have it delivered to their house? Like, do you think that is the easy option? Because it's not. Looting is not the easy option. It's, it happens when people think, or it is their only option. Yeah. And right. it's like, that's survival. Yes, it hurts others. Yes, it doesn't make sense to us who've never had to do that, to yeah. look and see people doing it. And it's easy to critique it then. But yeah. we've had the privilege of knowing the effects that that has because somebody else at least gave us the framework 
yeah. for our own survival, not to have to be the, our priority into our adulthood. You know, yeah. I didn't have to figure no. out how to feed myself at four or five. And that's an accomplishment, you know? No, yeah. So. 100%. Um, Smurfy, we have come to our final segment. This is crazy because I feel like we have not interviewed you at all. We've just been talking, which is fine. Yeah. <laughs> Little bits of information about Sam Murphy. It just means we'll have to have Sam Murphy on the podcast part two. Uh, it's like no one has any context. So like, why is she here? What does she do? Yeah. <laughs> all they know we, is that because you were my agent. And well, why don't you tell people a little bit of like your career trajectory? Because um, if I'm not mistaken, you started out in finance. Um, as an interlude, yeah, I moved here. I moved to LA from uh, Dublin like 11, 12 years ago, probably closer to 12 now. My dad was US Marine Corps, my mom is Irish. So, you know, I had the options. Um, and I moved because when I was kind of going into college, college in Ireland is free. So is medical care. To give you an idea of where my foundation of not chasing arbitrary money amounts for comfort and safety came from, like my society gave me that. I don't think about money in the way that I see people freak out about money because of this perceived fear in their head, which is coming down triple with the pandemic. Like everyone's just alone with their own thoughts and everything about the world is uncertain to them and people just lose it. Yeah. Um, but I had been told, you know, this is again, a, a thing of privilege. Uh, I was always taught, uh, make your job something you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And I thought that sounds like a good, uh, a good way to go. Um, turns out it, you make something you love your job, you're gonna end up hating the thing that you love, make it the second thing you love. <laughs> but um, basically I, comedy was a big thing in Ireland culturally, you know, it's kind of like, if I'm, if I don't laugh, I'll cry. Like you have to take the power away from scary things by laughing at them. Yeah. And that comes out of a lot of cultures with particular and more recent types of sort of cultural strife. Like the Irish had issues with the British that you've seen sort of replicated in the Americas in a lot of ways, but it's all white people. So you don't necessarily see it as a direct link because yeah. they all find different things to be racist against each other about. It's all the same mechanism, just with different masks on. And uh, so I loved comedy and decided that would be my job. And I just went to LA, not knowing anyone with a business degree and uh, no connections, no interns. People didn't even know the college I went to, let alone if they knew the country I was from. And entertainment is a very relationship heavy, privileged industry to get into, uh, but it's still a little wild westy and that half the people in it are not qualified to be in it, but there's no one paying attention. So they get away with it and they set their own rules. Um, so I came here and I was in finance for three and a half years because that was the first job that I got. And so I had a big, like fancy job, proper salary and everything, but I was trying to work in entertainment uh, at night to get experience so that I could get the jobs I was trying to even get interviewed for. So anyway, long story short, my I was interning at comedy clubs, uh, IO West and Westside and Santa Monica and running rooms and I ended up getting to know performers and comedians before I ever got near the industry. I would run the nights with the open mics uh, in Santa Monica and I had to take like improv and stand-up classes just because that's the payment for internships and you have to take the classes. Yeah. But I was taking it to put on my resume. Um, and I got interviewed a bunch of different places but it always went to the pedigree. You know, it went to the guy that went to the college that the person had heard of or had the recommendation from someone. 
Uh, but I would always be like the second to last one, like the runner up. As long as I could get in a room for an interview, I could usually impress them, but it was just getting to that stage. Yeah. Um, and so I uh, eventually ended up getting a job at like a very, very big agency. And I didn't have any idea at the time how much I had lucked out. Like the job I had ended up getting was the best job I had come close to. Um, and yeah, I was uh, an agent's assistant in a comedy touring department. And I got there and realized like, oh, look, like there's comedy, but also numbers and logistics. And I'm like a very middle of the road, right brain, left brain. I don't lean one way or the other, but in this business, you usually lean one way more so than the other. And it makes you not always best suited for certain things, which is why comics have managers and uh, why people who do what I do are not funny. Um, so I, uh, I really was like, oh, everything I've ever done has been leading up to this job. This is like a cool job that I understand. And so I went on that path, uh, jumped to a different agency and was an agent for a couple of years where we met and decided that while I enjoyed the job, my favorite part of it was advocating for comics because in my perspective there, I'd worked for very high up people at very, very high levels all the way down. And none of them had ever really impressed me on a full level in terms of me, I wanna be this person, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and yet I saw comedians who were the ones I was sort of relating better to or getting along better. Like I understood my job better through their eyes than I did the eyes of the people that were trying to profit from it. Yeah. Um, and the more and more I got closer with the talent, the more and more this side get a little distrusting of you um, as I'm sure you guys are familiar. Uh, and so I made the decision to jump out of that world and go into management where you can kind of define your role between you and your clients a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but I tried to do it from that safe, you know, thing of like, go into the big company, learn from someone else. They know something you don't. When you're worthy, you can go off and do your own thing. Um, that job only lasted like eight months when uh, the person that hired me realized uh, I wasn't a workhorse for them. And so I was gone. And uh, before, sooner than I, in, in I, like I'd always imagined being going out on my own and doing my own thing, just not when it happened. <laughs> I was not, like ready for it when it happened. So mm -hmm. I got kind of forced into a reckoning. Uh, it was like my pandemic. I all of a sudden didn't have fancy business cards, didn't have an office, didn't have a salary. I had my clients and I was alone in my apartment. And I think that's what people are dealing with the most in the pandemic right now is people whose world or identity is structured around how they interact with the world around them. They can't validate themselves, you know? And so I had to learn all that. Uh, and that was a good couple of years ago. I've been running my own company ever since. I set my own rules. I've capped my clients where I want to. I don't work with anyone I don't want to. I don't, I work with everyone I do. And I follow the rules of my new boss. And my new boss is uh, my clients who really are the only reason that I have an income. So it's, it, it was the best thing that ever happened to me, but it was one of the most traumatic things to ever happen to me because I wasn't prepared for it. And so I can look back now being like, it wasn't that big a deal, but it felt like the end of the world to me to have to like reckon with so many things that I, I wasn't prepared to reckon with all at one time. Like you're in debt. You also don't have an income and someone's trying to destroy everything you've, you've built up and there's this and there's that. And by the way, you know, you've never been alone with your own thoughts in 15 years and you haven't dealt with that. And it was just this perfect storm um, that I am so fucking grateful for now because when this stuff all happened, I was like, what, it's Wednesday, what's everyone bitching about? 
And I watched all of these institutions and people that had mistreated me over the years uh, just fall apart. Like houses of cards blew over overnight. And uh, it validated a lot of stuff that when you make your own rules for yourself and you're following the thing for the right reason, I realized I wasn't trying to work at a fancy company or say I was important in the business or make a lot of money. I was trying to actually do good work with people that I, I don't want to hang myself talking to every day. And in those systems, I felt like I was serving the people around me and not the purpose I was actually there for, which was to work with artists and advocate for people who should have this information that they're the driving force behind, but get taken advantage of by others who misappropriate it. And that's a very cynical way of looking at it, but it was my personal experience and I didn't like personally how the system worked. So I, the only way I could abdicate from it was to be alone and make my own rules. You know, it's very interesting that you say that because I feel like um, a lot of the time it goes back to like people's egos. Like I think that a lot of people who end up being managers or anything like that. And this is just how I feel in particular, like something I've noticed even with like direct managers at companies or personal relationships, right? If that person, my opinion, wants to do anything similar to what the client does, there is a conflict of interest here because you should not want to be the famous one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like at all. I'm sorry. You just yeah. should not want to be that. Yeah. You just should like an artist should prep their own taxes. I'm like, hey, this is why I'm here. Exactly. You go and be funny. But usually it's, I've noticed a lot, especially because of the context of how it's like people, influencers who have managers, right? A lot of those situations aren't the traditional Hollywood. So it's a whole new set of the same rules, but in a different way. I got to turn on the light. It's hella dark in here. (laughs) Um, I find it very interesting how it's like most of the time I'm noticing, oh, it's because your manager wants to do this. Like, did you not notice what their actual goal was? No offense. Like, that's not saying they don't don't see the potential in you, but you're not seeing it. That's mm-hmm. never going to help you fully, right? Like, I think that a good example, um, is I think of a Benny Medina, who I go, Benny is a creative. He did Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. He's a creative. But the minute that man committed to Jennifer Lopez, he made a commitment. Like, you know what I mean? Jennifer Lopez's real husband is Benny <laughs> Medina. I don't care what nobody tells me. 100%. A hundred percent because through all the other men who was there, yeah. Benny. And that's because I feel he he basically found a different goal, which yeah. was the career of Jennifer Lopez. But prior to that, he had uh, other things that he wanted to do. There's change in there. But people who that's the reason they got into managing so that they can kind of like hop on your fame and all that. Mm-hmm. It's never going to work. Yeah. A, yep. And yet the system is set up to... Uh, utilize and attract that more and more and more. And it's true. It's like, the fact is when you live in this extreme world where you either have everything or you have nothing and it goes from zero to 90 very quickly, what it means is there's this opportunity, unlike if you're a lawyer or a doctor or whatever, to have all of the money out of nowhere and have no idea what to do with it or how you got there. Like, And money in our society is, is power and influence, not just over your outcomes in life, but of those who are working around you. Mm -hmm. And I guess the way I see it is like, well, you got to know that you don't get the power without taking the responsibility with it. 
So if you want to be the artist, you also have to sacrifice like the artist does, you know, like Gina here left school and then paid rent trying to get like being paid for stuff she made up in her head and deciding who, where she would go and how she did herself. The concept of that is panic inducing to me because I went from high school and then I had college and then I went to this and then I did this and I followed the rules all the way up. But when I looked around, I realized the people who owned the companies I was looking to work at were the ones that started how you did, which is they just went out on their own and fucking did something. And the system is set up to make you seem like there's this path that you'll, you'll become this follow. But really, I think the key is just if you want the glory, you have to take the responsibility that comes with it. And so many people try and set up their lives so they get their cake and eat it too. You don't get to hold a comic emotionally, like uh, emotionally sort of, you don't get to emotionally manipulate a comic that wants to fire you when you know that if they weren't serving a purpose to you, you'd let them go tomorrow. Yeah. You don't get to turn around and be like, but we've known each other forever. Why would you do this to me? That isn't that kind of relationship. That's like a dentist or a mechanic. It has to be represented on both sides. You're either replaceable to each other or you're not. Yeah. I decided I didn't like the replaceable element. I was like, if it was just about money, I can go make way more money, way easier, working 20 hours a week for some finance company and not have to deal with any of this. Yeah. Um, that's what the thing was for me. I was like, I I'm poor and I could really not be. Um, so if I'm not in it for the money, I wanted to be the person that invested long term. And the system that we have is not set up to do that because the way I see it, comics are like little businesses and I am an investor in their business. I am a 10% stakeholder. I'm the CEO of their company. I, the buck doesn't stop with me. And if the whole thing goes down the crapper, I can get another job. But yeah. a comic whose life and entire persona is their livelihood, the buck stops with them. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I might do all the busy work, but when it blows up and they make millions of bucks, they do get all of it. Because if, I, if that didn't happen, they lose everything and you get to move on. So- I am in a place where I don't have bosses determining my moves so I can be more honest with my clients in terms of the relationship I have with them. Uh, I'm open about my weaknesses. I don't mind being questioned. I'm the only rep in the business, I think, who uh, has no problem with other reps taking my clients out for lunch with the intention of trying to get them to fire me. I'm like, yo, bro, if you can get me fired over a lunch, I probably needed to be fired. So mm -hmm. good luck. And all it's, it's happened and all it's ever done is reinforce with my clients that they're not missing out on anything. Because I'm like, yeah, go talk to that 65-year-old dude who hasn't had a, a relevant client in 15 years. See if uh, he understands the nuances of the modern day development of comics. Oh. Yeah. And it's, I can do that because I don't have that responsibility to someone who's paying a salary for me. But right. I had to make the risk in that I'm all in with my clients with real relationships with them. Right. And I had to pick the right people and I had to work on it and earn it and yeah. vice versa. So they've seen me at my worst and my best. And I'm always forthcoming about it. If I fuck up, they're the first person to know it. Um, and as a result, I am like a 10% stakeholder in their business. So when they blow up and all of a sudden I go from someone paying me, I don't know, like a 10% commission on 35 grand a year uh, for probably what could be 40, 50 hours of work a week sometimes. I think to myself like, well, when they're making 200 grand a night and I had to send two emails to make 20K, this is the time I pay for that. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. aggregated. But if we're functioning, like you pay me for exact services rendered, 
we are a function to each other. This isn't a relationship. Right. But if you want well, someone to go all in, I'm available and I always will be, but this is a relationship like a family member. This isn't right. business. No, I told, I feel like that's the thing that like a lot of people, one or two things, either they don't have that relationship with the manager at all, meaning like it's all business, right? I've seen that. And some and people like that. Yeah, and I get that. And then other people, it's not even like, um, you just said like we're family. So it's kind of like, uh, um, there's certain things that aren't spoken about. Mm -hmm. That's what I noticed with a lot of influencers where I'm like, oh, so like, have you asked certain questions? Do you allow them to ask certain questions? Like at the end of the day, we're making a commitment to each other. I know what I bring, you know what you bring. Um, and that's, that's what happens. But if there's certain things that I don't feel like I could bring up to you or things that I feel like that's your job and now I have to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Those are not, that's not going to work. Like, yeah. And, and, and I think that that happens a lot because um, you just said it, the power. Power seems to be in the hands of like societally, you would think you think the manager. But if it's a talent situation, the talent is literally the driving force. You're completely exactly. right in that. So you got to respect what the talent is, who, what they want, and where, what also they say, because they're the ones who started that part of it. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm not the I, puppet master. I am a service. And right. look, when it comes to my clients, like I've earned greater considerations in that I'm probably never going to get a text saying that I'm fired over something that never gets explained to me. Never. But I've earned that. But there are people, and Gina can probably attest to this, where they want, again, their cake and they want to eat it too. So you're a commodity to them when it suits them. But the second you treat them as a commodity, all of a sudden you're getting emotionally manipulated and, and guilted as if you've just thrown a relationship of yours under the bus. And it's like, I'm not blindly, a comic who's paying you to rep, to work for them is not pay, is not like blindly uh, responsible for never talking to another rep or never considering their other options or never making you uh, basically explain and, and justify yourself. Yeah. It's not a, you're my manager. I will never question you or talk to anyone ever again, but they want it to be like that. Like you owe them something. And it's like, if you want that relationship, you have to give a whole different set of things. And yeah. you can't do it with a 40 person client list with a boss who tomorrow could call you and tell you to fire that person. And you have no control over it. Mm -hmm. I have a question. What would a manager like that, the one you just described, say if like, if you just said, they want you to act like you owe them some type of loyalty or you owe them something. I do believe in loyalty, but I'm also like, I do owe you something, which is the fact, the truth of me having lunch with this other person. That's what exactly. I owe you. I owed you the truth. I did yeah. not owe you the, if you're not my man. Yeah. You're not my family. You're not my, you're not my man. I'm not like, monogamous to you. I'm, you're a I'm, function that I pay for. And not even, not even my man, because that's the thing. You just said it, monogamous. I'm not, it's just, that's not the situation here. But like you said, I might just be talking to this person because of, Maybe they just seem like a cool person. Maybe it's not even business related. Yeah. You should have the trust with me that I would, I'm, I'm not going to play you. Like, you know what I mean? Like if we have a relationship, have you given me a reason to play you or fire you? Yeah. No. Yeah. Have, have you, I given you a reason to drop me? Like, no. Exactly. Same exchange. So yeah, I do think people. Yeah. 
you get look, I'm not saying that they're both valid ways. Some people don't want a close relationship. Like some people, some comics, I would be a nightmare of a manager for them. They're like, I don't want to always talk to you. I don't want you paying this much attention to me. Like go do your job and leave me the hell alone. So those functions really work well for people. The problem is when it's masked as one thing and it's actually another. And it's like, if you could drop them tomorrow, because the fact of the matter is who, whoever is paying your manager is who their actual boss is. Mm-hmm. So if your manager is getting paid a salary and your commission as an artist is going to the company pool, your manager or agent, no matter what the fuck they tell you, unless they own that company, there's someone else that can tell them what to do, even though they're portraying themselves as being the, the final arbiter of, of this decision, right? Yeah. The fact is I get paid directly by my clients. That's right. my boss. My rent goes out the window if I piss off or don't work properly for my clients. I'm accountable to them. Yeah. They are the only people that decide if I get fired or not. Yeah. And that, uh, it gives me the opportunity to truly be honest with them because I don't have to mitigate the involvement of the money man because yeah. they are that person. I've always um, looked at it as like a balance between the two parties. Like if you do your job well and I do my job well, everybody's going to be happy. But yeah. if you stop doing your job well, then I'm not happy anymore and we need to have a discussion. If I'm not doing my job well, because part of it also falls on in my opinion, the client, the comic, are you going up as much as you can? Are you doing this? Are you taking these shows? Are you doing auditions? Are you doing this? Are you, are you saying no to everything because you just don't feel like it and then wondering why you're not getting a break? Are you being impatient with the process itself? Like there's a lot of factors too that I don't think comics consider their job that I'm like, no, 90% of this, this is what I would tell people about the manager-client relationship is like 90% of the work is you. 10% of the work is them. That's why they do the 10% that is essential for you to get work and go to that next level. So appreciate the 10% they give, but also don't slack on your 90% and then try to put it on them. Don't try to blame your manager for the 90% that was your work. Like um, I was talking to somebody recently who was like, you know, oh, all upset. Like, oh, I didn't get, you know, back in the day, I didn't get Comedy Central presents or whatever. And somebody was like, well, did you submit? Mm-hmm. And the comic was like, yeah. no. <laughs> like, well, you do did- I have to do things? No, yeah, yeah. It's like, like, you have to give me yeah. something to send them. If you, well, you have to tell me and I will send it to this person. But, but if- see, that's where, where um, what, what Sam is saying actually makes sense. So you need to know what type of relationship you need to ma- um, nurture with your manager. Exactly. So if you're the type of person who, you just said it, he clearly needed somebody to remind him to submit. That seems like he might be a great comic, but yeah. that's just not where he actually has like the skill. You need to have a manager who doesn't see it as a burden to be like, we have this, so are we doing this? Like well, this is the goal. On whether we're going. Not, not submitting something was an ego reason or legitimately you need to be reminded because there are comics I know that are like, I shouldn't have to submit. They already oh, yeah. told me blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, well, all right. Well, you don't want to play the game. Then well, the, when you lose. So do those people have managers? They uh-huh. do, but they have the managers that tend to be the ones that they don't want to tell you any bad news at all because they're in their job for themselves. So they don't want to disassociate uh, themselves with anything that you may not like when you're worth money and you leave them, you know, short millions of dollars by going to someone else. Yeah. So they, they just don't have the time or the mechanisms in the system or believe that it's their job to educate comics. And my yeah. point is like, 
well, that person left high school and went out to be a comic forever. I went to business school. So no, I don't expect him to know what incorporating is or how to do it or uh, to understand why they didn't get something and how it's nothing to do with them. Yeah. I spend a lot of my time, a lot of it, and my clients will tell you, and educating them, giving them information that no one would have ever given them before. They don't want to know how the sausage is made or whatever. I'm yeah. like, no, you're going to know how the sausage is made because what it's going to allow is a foundation of, you know, that even though you're paying me to do the stuff that you don't want to do, you understand what I'm doing. So when something yeah. goes wrong or there's an outcome that you don't like, you have the mechanism to understand it. Instead to looking to me as the definitive thing that you're looking at me being like, well, I don't know how this works, but I know I didn't get what I want. It must be your fault. And it's like, I would argue yeah. that that's the rep's fault as well, because it's like part of your job as I see it is to educate them about why it's not your job. And I've literally sat down with comics and been like, it is not my job to pull in work. That's your job. My job is to give you all the information and all the opportunities possible to get there. But my job is not to bring you in work. If you're not getting work and I'm doing my job and you're doing yours, it just means we have to pivot. It's yeah, not that, right, but it's no one's fault. That's yeah. exactly what it is. A lot of people don't understand the strategy part of that relationship where it's like, what is our strategy? From the minute you make that relationship with somebody, clearly y'all see something in each other. It's like a relationship, right? So then you go, well, what are we going towards? Okay, let's figure out a way to get there. Right, like that's also why I believe in renegotiating things because after a few years, things start changing. The world changes. You have the the other ones, but after a while, even if creatively you've changed your mind, yeah, and now you have to talk to this person about it. They have to figure out a different way to work with you. Yeah, exactly. I think people don't think about that because either they don't know how to work well with others, or they just you work for me. Mm -hmm. You know, exactly. like. Just go, and it's like, okay, but you're going to get you work for me, like, result. Yeah. I tell my clients the things they don't want to hear, and I tell them the things that most reps don't want to have to say to their people. And it's just a lack of commitment. The fact is, I know I say certain things, it's going to immediately get a bad reaction, and we're going to have a fight. But I also know that I'm going to call you the next day when you've calmed down, and we're going to reevaluate and work on it. Uh, because just like a family member, you having a bad reaction to something is not your definitive feeling on it. I don't judge it against your character. And it's not a make or break it. You know, like stop applying conditions like someone has to follow your rules at every point in life or you cut them out of your life entirely. Yeah. We all change. We all fuck up. And you need to give room for people to fuck up just like you need to look for people to give you room to fuck up because if you're not afraid to make a mistake and making mistakes is some of the most important thing you can do in life especially in this career uh you need to feel confident and knowing that you're not going to be struck from the record the second you do but we all operate under this mentality that you can't fuck up or do things wrong or else that just shows you shouldn't have been here in the first place and i'm mm -hmm. like if i don't know what your shortcoming is i don't trust you because if i don't see what your weakness is you're just lying to me yeah. because it's there I just want to know what it is. So my clients would be able to talk business strategy with the, I don't know, my peers in the industry at probably a higher level than a lot of the people who are my peers. Mm -hmm. They don't want to, it annoys them to hell and back. But I had one comic put it perfectly. And this was after he's been with me since the start of management and we've been through it all. And he was like, at first I used to get annoyed that like, when there was something good going on, you'd bring me through all the stuff that could go wrong with it. Or 
you would be really verbose and just long-winded about explaining all the stuff that either I didn't care about because something good was happening or that I felt wasn't relevant now or probably will never be. And he was like, and that sucked. But he was like, but then the first time something bad happened and the ass fell out of something that I really cared about, he was like, I noticed that it didn't feel as bad because I knew all the stuff that usually triggered me into freaking out over it because I didn't understand it. I didn't know why it happened the way it did. I didn't know what I was doing wrong. And he was like, you may not be the fun thing that calls every day with more money and good. And they loved you. They loved you. This is their fault if they didn't pick you. Like when you have that and something doesn't come through for you, it really sucks because you weren't prepped for it. That was a sucker punch. But the way he explained it to me, it was like the bad stuff is so much not bad now. And he's like, and it makes me more confident to achieve good stuff. Yeah. So I ruin the fun times, but I make the hard times easier with that mentality. Um, and mean, it just yeah. works for my specific client list. A lot, like I said, a lot of comics would be like, I'm going to cut this woman's throat. And I would, I would understand. No, that's all about what you need. And that it makes total sense. Yeah. 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 Like for me, I'm like, I would love, if I, I've thought about this, if I had a manager, the one question I need answered is, am I bugging? Like, that's how I'm probably going to talk. Am I bugging? And if the yeah. answer is yes, explain to me why, because I need to understand that. Mm -hmm. If no, how, how do we pivot? Like, what do I need exactly. to do? Because I'm not bugging, mm -hmm. but this is the situation. So that's what I, I personally, as a person, love people who can go, we see the problem. Let's figure out how to solve the problem. But did we understand the problem before we tried to solve it? Exactly. You know, because some people then go, let's fix it. And it's like, girls, it's just going to still be there. You put a Band-Aid on it. The problem yeah. I think a lot of people have is it's a very emotional business. And for comics particularly, like that's their life up on stage. It's their face. Like you do have to separate yourself because your persona is your, for lack of a better word, brand, but it is the driving force behind your work. It's your audience's reaction to it should inform you, not influence you. Yeah. Agreed. You, you notice what they think you take, you submit it into evidence, you take it into consideration. But if you're influenced by your own value of yourself and what you're doing by their reaction, you're screwed. And that's a really nuanced line in the sand to draw. And most people don't recognize it. They're either completely compartmentalized and they're all work all the time. They're a brand machine, like, like the Tom Cruises of the world, or you take everything personally. And in this business, that's going to be like a dagger to the heart 18 times a day, because it's a world of no's and it's a world of, of people taking advantage of the fact that they know you're taking it personally. And I think reps get difficult because you have to, in my job, know the difference between someone having an emotional reaction as a person and someone needing to hear the truth at that moment. And usually it's just as simple as being like, are you venting right now? Or do you actually want to hear what I think? Mm -hmm. And once you take a moment to have the person ask themselves that, they can usually tell you, you know what? I'm just upset. Just listen to me now and we can talk tomorrow. Yeah. yeah problem is when you have a cold like I have dealt with stuff that's no bother to me but if I had a like canceling shows for instance I've canceled quarter million dollar shows without a thought and I've seen all the bad reactions and, and consequences so once you've seen where it goes you're not as afraid of dealing with it again but when I have a client that's having to deal with one of those situations let's say for the first time and it's, you know, it, and it happened with you at the doctor it's normal business for them like I know you're freaking out or anxious but I do this every day shut up I can't have that reaction to them. I can't, uh, I can't turn to a person who's in emotional turmoil and be like, I've seen this a thousand times, you'll be fine. Yeah. And tell them to shut up. 
But then there are times when we actually have to have an honest conversation and I have to be like, look, this isn't what you want to hear. But as the person who's closest to you and has the biggest investment in your career, here's why you're acting like an asshole. But it's just about knowing when and people just don't have enough time to put those time into the relationships because in order to be hired at big companies or work in these systems, it's a herd mentality. You need as many clients as possible and you kind of pick up a bunch and hope that a couple of them stick. Uh, whereas in I picked six specific people that I believe are going to make it and that I want to be a part of helping to make sure they get there. I'm not picking up everybody and then I'm just going to hang on to whatever suits me. Yeah. So my investment in my clients is that it's like, I'm here until I'm not, you know, I'm here until you decide I, I shouldn't be. It's not, doesn't make, it doesn't matter how much money you make or don't make me. It doesn't matter about any of that, you know? I can only have six clients and I still work a hundred hours a week. So, and I still don't do everything that I want to do or could do uh, in my head. So I can understand why that the system that's in place does not serve that kind of thoughtfulness. So comics have to give it to themselves. Um, But I was just in a position where I could decide at least from my little tiny corner that I'm going to go like 90, like 1970s rock band manager, where it's like, I got like two clients and you and I are retiring together. Get used to it. Cause I'm annoying a lot of the time. And and, Medina. Yeah. I was like, if, if this doesn't work out guys, if y'all leave me, I'm going to go do something else. I'm not on this hamster wheel to sign the new hottest client for the rest of my life. I'm done. If, if you're not a friend or a client, I'm not watching you do stand up ever again. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> I, I don't have that drive to be the biggest thing. I kind of have my little part. And if it doesn't work, I'm going to move on. And scared money don't win, man. So yeah. I'm not afraid of losing because I'm not worried about losing. I'm just going to do what feels good and makes sense to me until it doesn't. And then just see what happens. Yeah. Um, and I, I've, it's, I've been greatly rewarded for it, but it, it is hard. There's a reason you need why to start, do it like this. You need to start getting um, apparel that says that. Scared money don't win, yeah, yo. Scared money don't win. Yeah, I'm a big gambler. You don't gamble with money you need because then your yeah. decision making process when you're gambling is affected by the fear of the potential outcome. Yeah, and that is the key to this business, which Love is that. you have to make objective decisions. But when you have real life stuff on the line, it's yeah. the reason you need someone like me is you need a non-emotional element to balance out the ship. Yeah. Because this is your livelihood. This is your ability to feed your kids and pay your rent. I don't expect you to make an like a completely calculated and cold decision. I wouldn't make that decision in that state either. Yeah. But you have me for that reason. Your job is personal. So you need a non-personal element of it, you know? So well, people that's why people make decisions that are not in their own best interest. They just react to the emotional feeling of having to make the decision. Everything that you literally just said works perfectly for the question that came in this week for our dear Gina. Mm -hmm. Like everything that you just said. um, I'm not saying that we planned it that way, but. um, Allegedly, we didn't. The questions are picked to fit the guest. (laughs) So we lucked out that everything that you said happens to uh, go into our next segment, which is our dear Gina segment, which is the last segment of the show where we give advice to people that write in and ask us for advice because we are very learned. Uh, <laughs> so we say so ourselves. If we, allegedly, we are very learned. <laughs> if we do say so ourselves. Um, 
So this Dear Gina uh, reads in such. Dear Gina, a recent opportunity came up for me to head down a different career path. I currently have a nice cushy job that not only pays the bills, but offers me benefits. This new job is definitely more along the lines of what I want to be doing with my life, but does not have the same security as the job I currently have. What do you suggest I do? What would you do? Um, I would leave immediately, but I'm an insane person. Um, <laughs> understand that like, uh, I'm totally that person that believes in making sacrifices for what you actually want to do in your life because you only get one life. Um, it's nice that your job is cushy and that it gives you security. And I know that stepping away from that is a very scary thing. Um, I remember my transition from having a day job to going, okay, I'm not making much of comedy, but now I can kind of pay my bills at it. And then leaving that cushy day job where I knew I could pay my bills and then some and have some money left over to now I'm only getting paid for standup. There is no money left over. This is all my income is right here and it's not much. And I really, there were times when I couldn't pay my phone bill. There were times when I couldn't fully pay my rent and I had to deal with the anxiety of that. But in the end, when I look back to where I was then to where I am now and all the sacrifices I made, I'm happy with my decision. I am very happy with my decision because I went along with what I knew my purpose was and what I knew my goals were in life, even if it was hard. So I think the, the decision is obviously ultimately up to you on whether or not you want to take that leap of faith. For me, I would 100% 100% say it's worth it to take that leap of faith because I think it will bring you more happiness in the end. But um, that is on you. I'm going to pass it to Samantha and then to Katherine. Um, I probably would, yeah, my advice would be in the same realm. And because I work with people that do have to sacrifice a lot for something that's highly, highly statistically unlikely to happen to them, it is a classic case of like, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. The fact is that you're going to deal with uncertainty in your life, whether you take one path or the other. Um, and so... I think that we have to just be careful because sometimes I think people pre present issues like that that isn't actually how they feel. They just are trying to express something else. But if this person actually is excited about this other job prospect enough to write to somebody else and ask advice about it, I would say that it's probably prevalent enough in their mind that it isn't just they're annoyed at their boss at the moment or they want to spite the asshole that got the promotion in front of them, if they genuinely have no other motivating factor, and let's say they don't need to put food on the table for 18 kids that we don't know about, then I would say, go for it every time because you could and might be dead tomorrow. And at the end of the day, it's like, when you're going to bed at night, are you going to be excited to wake up the next day? Or because when you're comfortable, you don't appreciate it. You know what I mean? Like you're not sitting in your bed thinking, oh, I'm glad I'm not out in a cold box right now on the street. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So I think it's a more interesting life to be in the box on the street and then work your way out of it so that you truly are grateful for what you do have. I think that's a more interesting life to have. And I say it as somebody who has avoided bad things happening and have now started embracing challenges are just going to happen in life and nothing but good has ever really come out of it by the end of it. For me because yeah. I learned how not to be afraid of the hard things and that's the key to all of it so yeah take the jump man because you can always just go back and get another job like money is money it, you can find it if you work hard you can find it anywhere yeah you know? absolutely well put very well put yeah. uh Catherine <laughs> um I think 
so since you, I feel like I agree with what you both said, right? So that's, so what do you suggest? For me, it's like, what would you do is probably where I'm stuck at with this only because of the word cushy, right? So I'm like, you, two questions I have, did somebody just randomly offer you your so quote unquote dream job or were you applying? Because if you were applying, you're already putting out the intention that you was looking. So you kind of already know the answer you in mind, right? Yeah. Um, when you say cushy, it almost makes me feel like it's mundane, right? Like, and it's not boring necessarily, but you're used to it. So if you're willing to take the new job, I agree, take the new job. Like, I think you were already putting that intention. So do it, take the leap of faith, but be prepared for the fact that you're going to have to put work in again. Like maybe where the, it got cushy, wherever you were, you're going to have to put, so know that. That's also why you're hesitating because yeah. you don't know. Like, I think there's half like income wise, you just said it. You don't know if this person has like an entire family to feed, that's a different reason for not knowing if they should leave the job. I get that. But if you owe nobody but yourself anything, just understand that those 10 years that you might've put in that first job, you're gonna have to do them again here. And are you willing for that? Cause even if it's a dream, don't mean it's not a job. It doesn't mean it's not, that it's easy. Exactly. That is very true. Good job. Ladies, I think we nailed it. Clearly, your problem is solved. Um, <laughs> That's <laughs> the tell, end of that. <laughs> tell the lovely people where they can find you. If you want me? to be found. Yes. I don't want to be found. Don't come looking for me. Nice to meet you all. <laughs> but you can see my various clients and Gina on all sorts of wonderful YouTube videos and Instagrams and, and social pages. And I'd like if people went and checked out my comics. Yes. Well, well, that Say names because you said you have six and might as well six. give somebody the shout out. Oh, I, I can go alphabetically. Uh, Andy Haynes, Chad Daniels, Josh Johnson. I love them all. <laughs> Ryan O'Flanagan, MK Paulson, Sean Patton. Check out any or all of those comics on YouTube and uh, you're definitely going to find one, at least one that you like. Yes. They're at the tops. They're all wonderfully different and amazing and I love them all. Uh, go check them out. I had a feeling you didn't want to be found. Uh, Catherine, <laughs> uh, tell the lovely people where they can find the. Uh, <laughs> on um, Instagram, it's at Catherine G Mendoza, and on Twitter, it's at Kathy Grace Two Four. Yay! yay. Uh, you guys know you can find me at G Brion on Instagram, where I live most of my life, uh, mm -hmm. and you can find me on TikTok which uh, I am enjoying greatly at Gbrion80 and <laughs> check out The Floor is Lava on Amazon or head over to HBO, check out Easily Offended or the Hot Comedy Festival, which is recent and I'm hella pregnant in that clip. So go ahead and watch that and see me in all my pregnant glory. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. Thank you, Sam, for joining us. You guys know, I love to end the show with a piece of advice my mom gives me to this day. When life throws a lot at you, handle it one catastrophe at a time. One Thanks. catastrophe at a time, everybody. Until next time. Bye. Everybody. Thank you, Sam. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. Yeah, do it like that. Yeah. You're the kind of chick that's ready to fight back. Yeah. Looks damn good, but really she type bad. Mm -hmm. Go to sleep, I call her my nightcap. Born killer. You a born killer, mm. Go on, get him. Go on, go on, get him, mm.